0: Love Talk Radio.
1: good evening, and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. Um, I'm really excited, excuse me, about um, today's show. Um, You know, I am just... So thrilled to have Dr. Moore in with us and to bring you some really important information that's coming out. Um, you know, what they're finding is, you know, can a medication, an antibiotic often used to treat acne, help improve symptoms in children and adolescents with obsessive compulsive disorder and, you know, without all of the troubling side effects from the other medications. So researchers at Columbia Psychiatry, who we're doing the series with, and the New York State Psychiatric Institute are investigating whether minocycline, which is in preliminary studies Uh, which has been shown to help ease OCD symptoms, can relieve some of the symptoms that the SSRI medications um, and cognitive behavioral therapy um, are failing to do. Leading this study is Dr. Maura Wren. And, um, you know, I, I think to preface this, I'll say that up until now, medications to treat psychiatric illnesses have really been focused on the dysfunction of neurotransmitters. And what they're finding now, to my understanding, is that they may have missed another key area of dysregulation. And um, that's why I wanted to present this show to you and bring you this growing evidence that suggests that um, oxidative stress, inflammation, um, changes to the glutamatergic pathways, the neurotrophins, play a really important role in pediatric mental illness. So... um, You know, I want to bring on Dr. Maura Wren. She's an honor to have here. She is the director of the Columbia University Pediatric Anxiety and Mood Research Clinic, and um, the Children's Day Unit. She also serves as the Interim Director of the Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Columbia University State Psychiatric Institute. And um, her area of research um, has been focused on pediatric psychopharmacology, um, which, believe me, my listeners, their ears have perked up, uh, with an emphasis on anxiety disorders, general anxiety disorder, and obsessive-compulsive disorder. So um, she's considered one of the foremost authorities on child um, psychopharmacology. Dr. Ren, thank you for joining me.
0: Sure, sure. Thank you so much uh, for, for having me again, and please again, express my apologies for, for running, running late. Um, oh no,
1: no problem.
0: I, I wanted to um, add a couple of things. I just wanted to make sure that um, one thing about science uh, today, which I think is wonderful and what I enjoy about it, is a very collaborative process because to really understand um, the underlying brain mechanism that leads to any disorders in terms of brain-oriented really requires a multidisciplinary collaborative
1: uh, effort. I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. Rinn, we had lost you there for a minute. So I was just saying, I'll, I'll pick up the phone in case it's a problem with my
0: phone. Um, that okay. You know, it's a very collaborative effort to do these types of studies, and I just wanted to mention okay. also Blair Simpson, who's the co-investigator of this particular study where we're looking at use, use of adjunctive minocycline, who's an adult psychiatrist, and also a, a dicoma shagun for while Cornell Medical Center, because uh, this study is also trying to examine what the mecha- potential mechanism of action, uh, if this antibiotic, addition of antibiotic, is found to be useful, we're actually doing Doing an imaging technique um, called MRS imaging to actually see if we can understand the mechanism of action uh, in, in this particular study. And um, we have pilot data for a subset of children and young adults that seem to have responded positively with the addition of minocycline, which is an antibiotic, as an addition to uh, their antidepressant. Um, and this would be with young people and young adults who have not fully responded uh, to their antidepressant and looking at adding on minocycline uh, to their treatment to see if that assists with their um, um,
1: obsessive compulsive uh, symptoms, um, which is which is huge. And NIMH also, I understand, is involved in this study.
0: So yes, yeah, so this is a study that is funded by the National uh, Institutes of Mental Health, and it's a type of study that's considered a feasibility and acceptability study. So. Part of the issue is to see, one, is it a feasible program to be doing? And so can we really do a study like this where we're examining the addition of this minocycline to the antidepressant? Can young people feel comfortable with this type of treatment? You have to take two, you know, taking more than one a medication. Um, is it to- tolerated? Also, are the young people able to tolerate going into the MRI machine, um, which uh, many of us have had that experience um, Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And they do it at the beginning of the study and at the end of the study because we are trying to see do we see any changes in glutamate metabolites um, in certain areas of the brain um, and to see if this medication um, has an an effect um, that way. The truth is I, I just wanted to mention, you know, I don't know necessarily anything was overlooked on the part of science so far. So so far, I just think it's a matter of trial and error, and realizing Absolutely. that OCD as a disorder probably has a lot of different pathways that actually lead to one developing it uh, of, of the illness, depending on your genetics, family history, environment, and it could, for different for different individuals, involve different neurotransmitters, or a, are clearly probably a combination of things, or a combination of neurotransmitters. Um, There's a lot that we actually really um, we really don't know at this point,
1: right? And comorbidity it plays a large role, also. You know, sure. I mean, I, um, you know, other disorders that you know may be present, like Tourette's, bipolar, ADHD, Asperger's, you know, can change presentations. Can they also change treatment options? Options? I know you mentioned the subgroups. So, Let's sure. consider a child that may have Tourette's OCD versus sure. a child that may have OCD with ADHD. Would treatment options vary? Sure
0: absolutely so I mean then that 's a very good point, so it's you know it,
1: you know as a researcher
0: this this study is looking at working with young people who have primarily o c d they can have other anxiety disorders like generalized anxiety which is the worry problem or separation anxiety but we're actually not um, including children that do have tics because there's thought that there may be underlying a difference in the neurocircuitry in terms of uh, leading to tics and causing tics and treatments might be a little bit different for tics so as a researcher we try to start with a more um, working with um, you know individuals who have maybe so to speak a purer form of the disorder when we're first Mm -hmm. trying to see if there's even any signal of a new experimental approach is working, um, but it's not to say that you know you know more work will be needed. If this is found that minocycline may help, more work will be needed to be done to be thinking about other comorbidities and so
1: forth. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's also been um, recently the study I think just came out this week that. Um, um, they did trials of minocycline on children with fragile X. Right. And um, they had very good results as well right. as, well, they didn't come out yet. No, this November they'll be coming out, but the minocycline with schizophrenia and bipolar. So, um, right. you know, this could be a really, really important discovery. Right, Um right. You know, and like we said, unfortunately, the medications often used, which are the SSRIs or the SS, um, um and are, they, they really not. They don't help all kids, even with cognitive behavioral therapy, which usually go hand-in-hand. Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's really exciting that there's another option because, you know, this is the newer class, the SSRIs. Uh, right. But there were the older class, the tricyclics. Right. Um, you know, how would – why is it that – um, that class of drugs, the older drugs, the anaphrinil, the nortriptyline, um, you know, why were are they not so much used or used right. in in addition to?
0: Right so, if I can make a couple of comments and I will at- answer your fi- final final comment the one thing I'd like for anyone listening that I just want to make sure that i am i you know say and I'm clear about we really do have some good first line treatments that one should consider, particularly if your child's been newly diagnosed with a physical compulsive disorder, and cognitive behavioral therapy is a very effect- efficacious treatment and should be considered particularly if a child if you can get access to well done cognitive behavioral therapy and your you know um and your child's able to do that type of therapy so you know, for those of you that, you know, some of you know this already, but for those that may be new to to, to this issue, you know, cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy is a good treatment, but it's a lot of work. The young person's got to do homework. They got to do what we call exposures. If a child's having an issue with contamination, let's just say they just don't like touching the doorknobs of concerns for germs, you know, part of the therapy is to help them get comfortable and work up to actually touching those doorknobs and the things that they don't feel comfortable with doing, sort of right. the, what we call exposure treatment. And that can be hard for children and adolescents to in, engage in that, but when they do They can have really great results also the antidepressants the serotonin uptake inhibitors as well we have studies that show that these medications can be efficacious however there are still a percentage and not a not a small percentage of young people that may not respond to either of these treatments, even in combination and at right. which point one wants to think of what your other other options are in terms of clomipramine in my own clinical practice clomipramine can be a very efficacious treatment and in fact um, will often be turned to as third or third line, you know, second or third line medication to be used. The issue with clonipramine is just concerns of tolerability um, and, um, you know, s- side effect issues. So clonipramine, you really need to be careful because um, if a young person ends up, you know, their level of clonipramine gets too high, it can be actually dangerous uh, and cardiotoxic and can lead to arrhythmias. And I think the serotermia inhibitors have uh, a very safe side effect profile and can be Efficacious, so clinicians. um, I'm one of those that will use a serotonin reuptake inhibitor first to see if we can get benefit uh, with that. If you do, that's great, and then if not, one will. If you haven't, don't have cognitive behavioral therapy on board, you'll do that next, and if that doesn't work, you may consider switching to another serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and you may actually get improvement that way. But then after that point, there's not a lot of literature known about where to go next. Whether you should add on other types of medications, but one I think should really consider clomipramine. It's actually uh, has, been, has been shown to be... In addition
1: to the SSRI or SRNI? Well,
0: I would probably do it alone as a monotherapy first. However... Mm-hmm. For very, what we say, you know, treatment refractory cases, yes. you have to be very careful about using the combination of clomipramine with an SSRI. But one could do that, but you have to really monitor. Um, and that's, to me, sort of a, a more last-line line approach.
1: Right. I would just want to go back to what you said about cognitive behavioral therapy because what you said was very important. It's key. Cognitive behavioral therapy that's well done Right. Um, is is just amazing but it is you know i've done several shows on this that you know listeners can go back um, and, and listen to um but you know what what we've found what i've personally found and what other parents have found um is that just going to talk therapy can actually exacerbate the situation because if they're talking about their problems but not given tools to correct them or to mm-hmm. um change the behaviors it can actually be even more frustrating um for these kids do you find that well, I
0: think I think one of the issues is that you want, you know, if you know you have the diagnosis correct and, and obsessive compulsive disorder that's causing the difficulties and problems, you really want to have a treatment that's going to target that problem and issue. Right. And certainly, we have plenty of evidence to show that cognitive behavioral therapy is a very good form of therapy to to do that. You know, other types of psychotherapy, psychodynamic-oriented psychotherapy, um, as, as, as an example, you know, it's not that it's contraindicated for, for a young person with OCD. It's just that I don't, don't necessarily think that that's going to target the OCD. It might help with other conflict issues that they may have right. that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes what I think can be, you know, challenging, and I, I understand when clinicians find themselves in this place, they'll say, well, I'm doing a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy and a little bit of psychodynamic and a little bit of family. Sometimes that dilutes. Um, the efficacy of any one of those modalities, depending on what you're trying to target, which is not potentially not in the best interest of, of, of the patients because they're not getting a full dose of any one of these treatments. So I think exactly. it's the. OCD is the primary problem and the one that's causing the most distress in the young person's life. Sure, there's probably, you know, I'm sure there's always families. People have family stuff. Everyone could be helped. I always think everyone could be helped with family therapy. <laughs> we could all use Everybody's it preventively. Helped, but, I mean, but a OCD luxury. is the primary <laughs> thing that, you know, you really want to target first and take care of that and do it with the treatments right. that we know in its full effective dose, and I'm including dose meaning even for the psychotherapy in it as well as, you know, for the medication. And that is another issue in the field. I will get young people sent to me who say, say, oh, I I failed this medication, they're often on inadequate dose of the antidepressant. So there's one, I should say, one take-home message as we started to do this program. We've all been, uh, my team has been discussing together about how many young people are being referred to us for the program that are not on the maximized. Once the decision to treat with medication is done, one wants to make sure that you get to a maximized dose, um, providing, you know, the young person can tolerate it of exactly. course, um, but you you know, start we're struck loans, by right? how Go many slow. kids are not right. at the maximized dose and are still suffering, taking a medication, getting feeling very hopeless about the situation, and the dose has not been maximized appropriately. Right.
1: And, you know, obsessive-compulsive disorder is, I mean, it's debilitating. Um, I know this, my children have it. I you mean, know, I've done many shows and I I want to move on to the study of subgroups, uh, because I think it's important for parents to understand the differences. Um, I've done many shows on pandas, pediatric mm-hmm. autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder. My middle child had it. Okay. Um and you know, when I was when I heard about what you were doing and then I, I was um researching about the glutamater- um glutamatergic um pathways and um the um you know, the inflammation property of it, it really made me think of how many subgroups there are. Mm-hmm. Because now with PANDAS, um, it was an autoimmune reaction to strep. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for my daughter, we tried the penicillin, we tried the amoxicillin, none of them worked. However, when we gave her Augmentin, which had the clavulinate, which actually passes the blood-brain barrier, I don't know if that made a difference, it it, it changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but now how does right. uh, PANDAS, which is... Um, an autoimmune response, differ mm-hmm. from what you're finding um, for the reasons that the minus right. one clean would work?
0: I don't know if it does differ or doesn't, to be honest with you. So, you know, pandas itself is another... Um, you know form of what you can see symptoms of OCD clearly but there may be a different mechanism that's leading to the OCD symptoms that you're seeing um and I think there's a lot of research being you know there is being research through is the right. authority on this um there's mm-hmm. other symptoms she's been authority.
1: on several times yeah. i
0: okay you know they're researching this very carefully to sort of one how do you identify the right children that have you know pandas, and now it looks like the, the even the name of it's going to be changed and sort of right. looked at in a more broader a broader context in terms of a neurological uh, problem um, um, but you know interestingly enough, for our study we're excluding anyone that's truly clearly documented as having pandas because again, you know we're not we're not sure exactly you know minicycling we're you know unfortunately like most of our medications, we might think we know some of the mechanism of actions, but we don't know all of them. And there's a lot that right now we're really trying to see, is there, we did a small pilot study, and I just want to be humble about it, it was a small pilot study, and some children it was like it was a home run for them, and right. some it was not. Um, Blair Simpson worked with adults at, uh, with Carolyn Rodriguez. Um, there's another wonderful psychiatrist working in the area of hoarding and OCD here at, at Columbia and they looked at adults and those that had a response seemed to be those adults who had early onset OCD so OCD that occurred uh, prior to the age of 18 what does that mean if anything we just we just don't know but it did give us the idea to do this metacycline adjunctively first with young people with mm-hmm. OCD uncomplicated with some of these other because pandas you know when you look at what you get with those symptoms it's it's got so many other neurological that you can get with that, and it may be a different Absolutely. process. It's not to say that minocycline might not help as well, because it is an antibiotic, it has very good CNS penetrance, just all the stuff that you were just bringing up, um, which is why we're we're interested in, in using this compound, and and maybe, but we're starting off with sort of a more pure sample approach, so we can really measure and see what we think is going on, and that's the hard part when you're doing a study that also is working with using a technology like this imaging technology, where we're actually trying to measure these, uh, you know, the glutamate metabolites to really see what's going on. On. We want to first start being more pure, so we can see if we can understand what what is the mechanism of action in minocycline. You know, there could be that we will find no difference, pre and post, when we do these scans. I, I, we just don't know, and that's why it's a pilot feasibility study, so that we can get a we could get a sense um, get a sense of this.
1: Well, you know, one thing that we as parents know, um, and you know, thousands of listeners um, who are going to be listening to this, whose children have OCD. Uh, You know, we know at this point there is no magic bullet, and there's certainly no universal magic bullet, that these kids are all different with their subgroups and their subtypes. Um, You know, but I I wanted you to just, if you could, explain um, to the audience um, what glutamate pathways are, what neurotrophins are, and how they play a role in mental illness. Because um, from what I understand, it's the antioxidant and and anti-inflammatory properties Right. Of their protective properties that you think may be the key here. Mm-hmm. So again,
0: we don't we, we're not so these these this is, this is all great. And so you know that is what the interest is in in terms of the glutamate pathway because glutamate is a sort of an excitogen, you know, exci- right. excitatory uh, um, compound can actually uh, lead to. Um, you know, sort of what we can say in the sense, damage to, to the neurons when you have too much of it. You need it, but you it's sort of it's being very basic and kind of cartoonish about this, but in a basic sense, it's sort of an imbalance of that, kind of like you always hear with the serotonin, there's an imbalance of that. Um, right. So I'm making it very, you know, sort of basic that way, but it is a sense that there may be, with a reduction of, these glutamate metabolites in the synaptic cleft between these neurons. Um, the way minocycline we think may work is that it has neuroprotective effects by, in a sense, inducing the increased uh, uptake of glutamate by the glial cells and leading to an inhibition of microglial cells, which actually can lead to more destruction for the for the for the neurons. So it's felt by some of the. Some studies that have been done in humans with imaging shown that sort of decreasing some of these levels uh, seem to, to lead to a decrease in um, actual OCD symptoms. Um, but you know we're not we're not 100 we're not 100 sure. However, the field has gotten very interested in, in, in the glutamate system in general as another system to be looking at. And there are you know the various what we call structural and functional imaging studies that seem to suggest that OCD is associated with the brain circuit that involves the orbital frontal cortex, the striatum. These are different parts of the brain that are felt to be involved. And initially, the field had been very focused on serotonergic um, abnormalities. Um but as we've gotten more animal and human studies seem to implicate glutamate in the system of OCD. And there are actually human genetic studies that have found association with certain types of genes that are related to the glutamate system that also might suggest that it is in the glutamate system. Um, And there's animal models where they have disrupted the glutamate, uh, glutamatergic transmission in these different circuits and actually see the animals start developing OCD-like behavior. So it's led to... In the field now, looking at various compounds targeting this that alters the reuptake of glutamate from from the synaptic cleft, and so other compounds, for ex- example, is uh, riluzole. Um, and I know the National Institutes of Mental Health had not too long ago completed a trial for pediatric OCD where they were examining the use of that uh, compound. And in that study, I think they allowed the comorbidity of autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. And so those results are not out yet, but there have been some open trials with really as, all, as an example, and adults with OCT and have found some some results. And also, so it's a pilot study. Another compound is um, memantine. Again, some you know you K know, series open trials of children with very severe OCD using it on as an adjunctive. And all these compounds have different ways of interacting with the um, the neurons to re- to lead to uh, uh, a change in the glutamate levels. Um, but we're, we're not 100% sure, and that is why with with adding uh, MRS imaging to try to see pre and post in our study with the treatment of adding on minocycline. We're hoping we can get some information about that, how this might be working. Um, you know, is there can we can we actually um, quantify that change? Maybe there's certain you know those children that have a good response to the minocycline. Hopefully, we can look at these glutamate metabolites and compare pre and post what might be different about them versus the children that get the compound, and didn't show any improvement. Um, right. So we're just it's really at its infancy in terms of the things that we are um, looking at.
1: Well, we appreciate you looking at it, I'll tell you that. Um, I have I have a question about the minocycline um, in general. It's, a, it's an antibiotic. It's It's often used to treat acne and skin conditions. Right. Uh, was is there a reason why monocycline is being chosen over, say, tetracycline, which was I mean, when I was a kid that was this that that was the Z pack of the day. Right. Um or you know, doxy um cycline. Um, you know, and a really ridiculous obvious question I guess is, um, would supplements like coenzyme Q ten um be something that could also help with to with the neuroprotective um aspect of this?
0: Right, right. So so um is a second generation it is is second generation tetracycline with very high CNS penetration so that's one reason it has a very high CNS uh, um, penetration so that's okay. that that's one one thing um it um is FDA approved for children um, um, ages 8 and older so you know, it's exciting to look at a compound that might have another, you know, what we call a repurposing of its use, because um, you can, you know, it's very hard in the field of um, child psychopharmacology to get new compounds on the market and looked at and studied at because it's a very, very long process. Often we're waiting until the adult trials get done, um, and then the physicians, you know, will will use it off-label prescribing and so right. forth. So one one thing that we were excited about this is it's FDA approved for children. We're able to. Um, it's already prescribed, as you mentioned, for treating acne. Um, Which is huge,
1: right? Yes.
0: Um, its antibiotic resistance in general is lower than some of the other antimicrobial choices. Um, it's You know, it's just a lot. It's inexpensive. So it's a lot of these different things. And, you know, the chronic, inf- administ- when you look at the chronic administration data, so meaning those young people that have been on it for a long period of time, um, you know, for the most part have tolerated tolerated really well. Then there was this growing evidence of animal studies um, and actually also, you know, human clinical trials of neurological disease diseases, including Parkinson's um, and Huntington's, um, that showed mm-hmm. that minocycline may have neuroprotective effects. And then there were some animal models as well that looked at how minocycline was functioning and showed that it inhibited glutamate-caused or, if you will, glutamate-induced cell death um, and, you know, again, we're not sure we think that this effect might be due to the fact that minocycline um, increases gl- uh, glial glutamate transport and, you know, inhibits microglial proliferation. Um, and, you know, there were primate studies that, you know, looked at, you know, where did you get this neural protection or sort of help, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, in humans around equivalent dose of 200 milligrams a day, which is around the range of what you prescribe in, in young, young, young adults. Um, so it is dosed based on, um, based on on weight and the maximum dose is 200 milligrams a day, and the dosing that we are using is um, based on what a pediatrician would do for acne, based on weight, or for you know definitely for an, an infection. So we're definitely is dosing this? it at the most that we can for weight in order to make sure to see if we get um, any kind of of, of, of response. Um, in terms see, of other,
1: is this something that could possibly be for very young children? My daughter was four when she first um her OCD came out. Um is this something that could possibly be a first line treatment for very very young children instead of the um um you know SSRIs or something? Uh
0: you know no. So the reason why it has no. the okay. approval for 8 8 and older is that it it can cause um at younger ages it can cause um dental problems. So that's right, why we have to be very one, careful yeah. mm-hmm. uh with using it in children um you know, under the age of eight, because you know, under their, their teeth are not um, fully done changing and growing and and, and so forth. So we're not going to be able to use it under under the age of age of eight. Um, in terms of first line, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, right mm-hmm. now we're looking at it from the the perspective of using it as an adjunctive treatment. So mm-hmm. the young people that are involved, children adolescents that are involved in the program, have at least have had a minimal response to the antidepressant, and this is looking on it. Uh, you know, we're using this as an add on treatment. And, you know, there's just not a lot of options or at least not a lot of information about add-on treatments. Generally, add-on treatments can be a second antidepressant presently now. It can be right. atypical antipsychotics, which has its challenges in terms of its side effect profile and weight gain, um, which can be, can be significant. It just adds
1: that to the emotional problems, yeah, it's absolutely... yeah so you're, you, know, you, have, you know, I mean, you know, this just really gives, gives parents hope. I mean, right. it really does. Um, you know, did you mention, if I just want to backtrack, because I wrote a note here, um, you said that it was very well tolerated. You I thought you mentioned something about allergies. Like, one of my daughters has anaphylactic shock to several antibiotics. Uh, um, but I was told that this class of antibiotic actually is least likely to cause allergic reactions in kids. Is is that true?
0: You know, I I don't. That's not, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just
1: what they had told me that if she does need an antibiotic, that they would go right. with the doctor. Maybe there's truth to that. I know right. it's it's, it's yeah. pretty
0: it's pretty well tolerated. Um right. You know we. You know I have seen a significant rash with this compound. Um, so um,
1: you know, with right. all
0: with all drugs, you you run that. There's always that risk of someone having a very uh, significant allergic reaction, and I have actually seen that with with
1: uh, Stevens Johnson or
0: just No, no, rash? no, no, not Stevens okay, Johnson. Good. No, thank okay, God. No, check in. but you know, just but want to make was, sure before. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. But what was significant? To require additional treats you know once we stopped it, mm-hmm. it, the medication was fine, but we had to use some treatment for for the skin so it 's not right. it 's not a perfect none of these medications Nothing are is. and it 's about like you were saying before it 's the individual the thing the hetero, you know the heterogeneity of the illness, the heterogeneity in the responsive treatments. And of the side effects one can experience each each person may have a different different experience, so one has to be very careful and monitored carefully with with any of these compounds um, so you know rash is definitely a risk is not, not, not a history that i 'm aware of of stephen johnson 's with this compound right. um, There are some rarer side effects um, and that 's been noted for on more chronic use and it 's been described as like um, I'm trying to get the right word. Um, Lupus-like, maybe uh, interesting enough, immunological. Again, it's rare, Mm, and it's been when it's been used very chronically. um, And and this study is not going to answer the question. So for those young people who have a good response, you know, what does that mean? Should they be on it for?
1: Exactly. I've had this
0: question asked me, and I don't, I don't know, and I don't have that that answer.
1: Um, This trial goes up to 12 weeks. It leads to the conversation of um, alternatives, which may long-term not be, you know, minocycline, but what you're doing is really leading um, to to a completely different avenue of, you know, possible treatments that are much more benign. Right. Um, And, you know, you spoke about the side effects, but why don't you um, tell us what areas did you see or do you expect to see improvement in symptoms? Do you expect to see improvement in um, checking and rituals? Is there anything specifically that you're finding?
0: Well, you know, across in the pilot study, across the board, we did find um, improvement for, 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 for checking, for checking compulsions, contamination compulsions, for mental rituals. I mean, we did, but you know, again, it was a, a small sample. That is something with this, this study that we're, so now we're doing a larger sample. We had to get funding to mm-hmm. do a larger sample that we are going to be tracking, that we are going to be looking at the different categories of symptoms just to see if we see anything there that might suggest um, a benefit that's different. Um Again, with this study, we are actually ex- excluding patients that have true and meet true criteria for hoarding. Um, again, getting back to you know hoarding, you know may have a different mechanism. May, you know, it's right. maybe a little bit different than than, than um, uh, pure OCD. And again, because we're just first trying to see if there is even a signal, we're we're ex- we're excluding that. Um, so we just we're at this point, we're just not sure. In general across the board, the sense was really that. It seemed that uh, some young people and young adults had just a great response, and some it just did nothing for.
1: So right. that's well, a, nothing that's is better than made it worse, which that's a lot of what parents what are dealing we're with when they're it. adding on. Yeah, right. And I
0: just want to make another comment. So with this the study and the way that we're gonna we're examining this, and I don't know if I mentioned it, it, is what we call a double-blind, right, placebo-controlled trial. It's an unbalanced randomization, meeting two to one. You know, for every three people, two get the actual minocycline. One person, you know, one gets uh, the, the pill placebo. As each participant ends the study, the blind is broken. So you do know as soon as you finish the trial whether or not you were on the minocycline versus the, the pill placebo. So we'll get immediate. Um, we'll immediately know uh, if that, in fact, uh, the child was on it or not on it. If they were not on it and they get the opportunity to be on it, um, if they were on it, and not responding, you know, we'll be you know, we work with that child and family to to come up with the next treatment treatment approach. And everything with mm-hmm. the program is at no cost.
1: Well, let's let's move into um, this. Is, this study is open to the public. Are you recruiting now? And if so, yes, what is are. your criteria? How can I'm going to give out um, Amy's number at the end. But okay. um, you know, how can um, how can we help you? <laughs> well if
0: if you have um, a child um, or adolescent, this is also for young adults who are on a you know maximized dose of the antidepressant, you feel like you've had a little bit of improvement, but you still wish you had more improvement. Um, you've been told you have primarily OCD, you may have other anxiety symptoms, Um, you could be a candidate for this program where you would either get the minocycline or the pill placebo. We can't have any young people with braces because you can't go in the scanner with braces, so that's been a challenge um, because, of course, a lot of adolescents have braces.
1: Right, Um, I didn't think of that.
0: Yeah, so that's that's a challenge. Um, But with that said, it's pretty easy to be in the scanner. It's really not uncomfortable. You just have to stay still, Um, It takes about an hour and 40 minutes, 45 minutes, to go through the scanning process. Um, There's some questionnaires. We ask a lot of questions. There's coming in for visits initially weekly, and then it's every two weeks. And as I mentioned, it's uh, a a 12-week study. Um, um, As I mentioned, you need to be on your antidepressant at a maximum dose for three months, um, so it can't be, oh, on been, you've been on the maximum right. for two weeks, let's say. It needs to be for, if we really, because we really don't want to subject anyone to do an experimental treatment when we think that really you just haven't been on that treatment. And we'll, we'll tell you that. And we, we've been doing that. We've been giving consultations to family who said, you know, we may not be quite right, but could you tell us? What your advice would be, this is our situation, and we're happy to help that way and and we do have a consult uh, service as well um, that we could we can we can help people with as part of the research program that's at no cost um, so we're also interested in helping people get the right treatment and we will tell you like no we 're not the right program for you really. You know what, you've had some response and you're not at the right dose yet, keep keep going. Um and, and hopefully and we've and we've had that. We've had families that we advise that to and give them other advice and they call back, Oh, we're much better. We're not we're not gonna need your program and, it takes and, time. and we're thrilled it takes to hear time. that, uh, when yeah. that happens. But if you've been on a maximum dose, you're just a little bit improved. Um, you know you you really want to see if maybe this other uh, experimental approach could be of help and you will get the meniscyte if you don't get it during the acute trial you will get it in the um follow up phase
1: and oh, that's all, great. And we
0: provide free follow up oh, treatment.
1: Now, I just have a question because on my notes I have that this is from ages 8 to 17, but I'm on the site now. On no, it's Columbia ages 8 to 20. 8, 8 to 20. 8 oh, to that's 20. fantastic. Yeah. And 8 let me to just give out the number. Um, if anybody is interested, you can get in touch with the study coordinator, Amy Rapp, at 212 543. 5592 and you can also go to the um Columbia I'll give you the website www.columbia-ocd.org and go to studies go to child studies and uh, you can read about it there um uh, but Dr. Wren I thank you so much for joining me I thank you sure. so much for what you doing. And I'd like doing. to
0: offer anybody that will want to talk to me directly um you know feel please feel free to also uh you know give me a call and my number is uh 212-543-5799
1: Okay. Well, I know I'm going to be calling you. <laughs>
0: great. Well, thank you for having me. I so, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with all of you
1: today. Oh, you, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As we end each show, as I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. You, if not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent right here at the Coffee Clutch. This was another of our Columbia um, University Psychiatry Series outstanding there is absolutely none better they're trying to change the lives for our kids Um, support them go over take a look at their website and i'll see you next week thank you for joining me